Hello and welcome to the post-election politically speaking podcast. Post-mortem. Post-mortem. And very sleepy. (laughs) I'm Chris McDaniel, a very tired political reporter with St. Louis Public Radio, and I'm joined by the also tired... Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon, but enthused. enthused. (laughs) Very enthused. And Joe Manis of the St. Louis Beacon, who's... Very tired, but yeah, kind of wired. Wired and tired. <laughs> yeah, I think we all went to bed around 3 o'clock. I went to bed at 5, which oh, is ridiculous. I don't remember what time I eventually fell asleep, but it was too late for anybody's comfort. It so. was all sort of a stupor. But let's get right down to it. Claire McCaskill soundly trounced Congressman Todd Aiken. That might be an understatement. Yes, and this is national news. I mean, this is, you know, a national... I would say, well... I'm trying to trying stomped? to stomped is a good one. I mean, on the one hand, you got to give McCaskill her due, and she's a tough campaigner. She has experience in running statewide campaigns where she was initially the underdog, and I don't want to take away anything that she did because I think she ran, by all intents and purposes, a a really solid campaign. Oh yeah, in fact, I mean, all of us. I can't imagine that anybody besides her thought she was going to win by that 15% that she was talking about and she did. Right. But well, I but she I had mean internal polls that that said she were Yeah, she well, would, well and, we and thought nobody... it was baloney. <laughs> <You know, laughs> Not anymore. But, but let's just take let's just let's just look at the magnitude of this victory. I mean remember in 2006 the reason that she was credited to beating Jim Talent was because she held margins down in outstate areas like Greene County. Held margins. This election she won. Green County. She won St. Charles. Charles County. Yeah. But, I'll, but I'll say what I said earlier today. She won, I believe, I solidly believe, she won because all of these Republican women went to her. Yes. She, it wasn't a bunch of Republican guys in Springfield who decided to go for her. And that's the, other, that's the other side of the coin. While I want to give McCaskill and her campaign team as much credit, you can't underestimate how catastrophic of a defeat this was by Aiken. Well, this I mean, is exactly what she wanted to happen. I mean, she wanted to be running against Congressman Aiken, and she wanted him to hopefully say something like this. Yeah, but, I mean, well, she knew, because Aiken always says, I mean, that's why the locals, that's why Charles Jacob was interviewing him, didn't bat an eye when he said that, because Aiken always says what he believes. That's that's one of the, the charms when you're covering him, is because mm-hmm. he's fun, because you never know what he's going to say. But... Right. Just because she wanted to run against him, that was kind of a Hail Mary pass because she figured that Stillman and Bruner, she had no chance. Right. And she kind of thought maybe she had a chance and with, with Aiken. But frankly, until the legitimate rape thing, she probably didn't even have a chance yeah. there. And I mean, to be fair, I think a lot of people who looked at this race, it's probably us included, looked at McCaskill as especially vulnerable even after right. Aiken won the primary. Right. Oh, yeah. And um, even though Aiken had his prior baggage and, you know, his his negatives that were kind of accumulating before August 19th. Yeah, because he had railed against the school lunch program yeah. just the week before at the state fair before the Farm Bureau, which I thought was... But, really but everybody. I mean, I don't want to say, like, we were some, you know, psychics that thought that McCaskill would go this right. long. I don't think anyone saw this coming, but I think a lot of it has to do with a combination of just McCaskill being somewhat of the gold standard of Democratic statewide campaigns and just Aiken being what's the opposite of gold? I mean, you can take whatever element you can, but I mean, 
we've talked on this show about all sorts of stuff that this campaign seemed to have done wrong over the last few weeks and months. So. But I think you also can't underestimate the power of the national Republicans, what they sh- the responsibility that I think they share. I think that Republicans in Missouri who are Aiken backers can legitimately say that if the national Republicans hadn't hadn't fed on the furor, and called for him to get out, and Karl Rove pulling out his money, and all this other stuff going on. Um, the The margin was such that maybe McCaskill would have pulled it off anyway. But the point is, by fifteen percentage points, uh, I think Aiken uh, didn't get any, didn't get he he got marginal help. I mean, he's doing robe. I got three robocalls to my house on election day Were they from, about from Aiken. One was, the other two were not. But, you know, I think we can look at all the reasons why Aiken lost, and I think that could be studied in several political science books. But I think it goes without saying that there were opportunities for other Republicans to run against McCaskill. Right. Be it Jim Talent, who I, I who may have been hesitant to go at it again, but also some members of the congressional delegation like Joanne Emerson, Blaine Luchtenmeyer, and Sam Graves. Any one of those candidates, I think, would have performed better than Aiken, but they took a pass by wanting to stay in their current positions. And if somebody else would have stepped up, I think, besides the three people that came came about, I think this race may not have had a different outcome, but I think that the margin would have been considerably different. Well, it might have had. I mean, I, I would say, just looking at it just from the surface, without getting into issues and all this other stuff, that Talent, Emerson, or Graves would have mm-hmm. beat her. Mm-hmm. I think even Luke DeMeyer would have had a chance because he's run statewide before. So, you know, you he was thinking about that, too. But, I mean, he doesn't have as much name recognition well, as the Well, and as others. far as just uh, – and, and I'm not looking just at whether or not they run statewide, but the way their own political organizations, whether or not they have a political mind. I mean, McCaskill and Roy Blunt are both great political minds. Mm-hmm. I mean, Roy Blunt was the brains behind his – huge victory in 2010. Right. Claire McCaskill was the brains between her huge victory uh, Tuesday. And it's fascinating that they both won, Republican, Democrat, were now represented by senators who both won by huge margins and that they were basically the brain trust behind it. It's going to be interesting how they interact over the next couple of years. Well, who would have thought that the Senate race would have been less contentious than the governor's race? In terms of, of the voting. margin. Oh, in terms oh, of the margin. Oh, oh, oh of margin. I was yes. going to say, un- unfortunately, Spence and Nixon, no yeah. one was paying attention. Well, I mean, no. I mean, okay, you got to yeah. put, you got to look was, at, yeah, you got to look at it from a couple perspectives. First of all, Nixon's victory over Holsoff was, what, 59 41? I don't think he was going to get that type of victory again when Spence was spending $6.5 million of his own money in addition to all the other money he was getting. And I think that it goes without saying that Spence, although was a political neophyte and novice, I think he I don't think he ran an especially bad or terrible campaign. I think it was it was it was what it was. It's just that even he probably could see that defeating someone like Nixon, who had pretty high approval ratings, was going to be a tall order. Well, um, I think, though, that Spence had not run statewide before, and I think it showed while he is a sharp businessman and actually was good to deal with as a reporter, um, he was actually in some cases more approachable than, than the governor and stuff, 
Spence, Some cases, all cases. But 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 Spence was surprised. Spence was hammering at the governor using the words corrupt and some of these other loaded terms Saying early he on. Was in the pocket of yeah. labor unions was what he said. And then I mean whether it's but the point is is then he was shocked when the governor put up these ads basically calling him a banker and getting a sweetheart loan for his vacation home. Right. And, and, and then he sues him. And and he was uh, even at his um, uh, concession speech uh, Tuesday night was kind of like, well, I couldn't believe how negative the governor got. And it was kind of like, well, when you call him corrupt and in the pocket, what do you suspect? What do you expect? And I think that was because he was a first time candidate. But th- I think that happens sometimes when you have a wealthy person who runs statewide the first time in whatever state. Yeah. I think they get they can get kind of shell-shocked by what's being thrown at them, especially if they're throwing out stuff. Yeah, and, you know, it's fun to needle the governor regardless of who the governor is. But Nixon has run statewide, what, seven, eight times now? He's, yes. I, I may be exaggerating, but it's not really that much of an exaggeration. Correct. He has won. He's lost. He's kind of won twice by pretty decisive margins. And I really do believe that if you have that experience running statewide, including losing. Yeah, eight times. I was counting in my head. I I think that that gives you a lot of insight and experience of how to to go through a campaign. And I think Republicans had to know that going in. And I don't know if they could have gotten somebody else because, you know, we, we talk about Peter Kinder being the assumed nominee and he kind of dropped out and went to the lieutenant governor's and he won by the way he's the again the only survivor the only republican survivor but, i mean i don't i don't really know who else could have could have done better i mean at this well, point well after after steve still after steve tilly took himself out for like of who many of us had thought steve tilly was the one who was going to be the next republican powerhouse like of and maybe gov and then after he sort of uh, for personal issues, dropped out um, forever. Uh, there isn't the Republicans don't have a deep bench. Not that the Democrats do either, but the Democrats do have a number of people in waiting because they have so many people who have won statewide office and now hold statewide office. Mm. They've got a bench of people to run for governor now, in twenty sixteen. Yeah, I, I think that there is a bench, for example, in the Missouri Senate with Republicans that I think That's could run for attorney general, That's treasurer, lieutenant governor. Some people who come to mind, I'm just name dropping: Eric Schmidt, yep. Kurt Schaefer, David Pierce. All those people, I think, could run for, for statewide after their, you know, Schmidt didn't even have an opponent. Schaefer won 57 percent in a traditionally Democratic district. Pierce has gone through a labyrinth of things to win two elections to the Senate. And there are others, too. I'm just singling those out as examples. But they have a bench for those. For governor, though, I think it's really questionable, especially if the presumed opponent is either someone like Chris Coster, who won with 55% of the vote. And he's a former Republican. Former Republican. Chris Coster is kind of this this hybrid. Yeah. You know? Or, you know, someone like Zweifel, who also won re-election um, over Cole McNary. I think those are the, two, closer, yeah. Yeah, the two presumed people. Though they might work something out where they don't have to run in a primary against each other. But, you know, that could happen, especially after Nixon uh, leaves office due to term limits in, in 2016. Yeah, because Coster has been working. I is something that I've been planning to write about. Um, Coster was working a lot during the campaign to kind of f- 
forge some, if not alliances, at least good relations with many of these other Democrats running for office, either by giving them money or showing up at campaign events with them. He was definitely doing the um, laying laying the groundwork. Yeah. Well, you know, most of the statewide races were not really closer than you know four or five percent. And in fact, even Kinder's race, although it was four percent, that's actually his largest margin of Mm -hmm. statewide victory in his three runs. He barely beat Becky Cook. He beat Sam Page by a little over two percent. Yeah. But he beat Susan Monty by four after a really difficult couple of years for him. So, you know, I don't know what he does next. But after running through the gauntlet that he did, I think it's it, it says a lot about him him prevailing this time around. But, but the closest statewide race was the Secretary of State's race between yes. uh, Democrat Jason Kander and Republican Shane Scholler. Yeah, I mean, that went down to, like, the last few precincts. and um, And it was only by, what? 1.3%. Yes, but that's enough to go above the automatic recount stage. Yeah, isn't that 1%? I believe so. Is yeah. that is that the correct Yes, result? yes. Yeah. Yes, 1%. I talked to his people this morning, yeah. as did you. Yeah, I actually talked with Representative Kander uh, about two hours ago. He was, like me, kind of tired but high on adrenaline, so to speak. But, I mean, I think the fact that he won, first of all, I think it may take – the photo ID advocacy that Shane Schiller was going to put for out of the equation of that office. That doesn't mean the legislature may not pursue it, but the chances of them getting it yeah, implemented yeah. are pretty yeah, low. Well. Yeah. 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 I'd but, say that's, that's dead in the water. But more importantly, he's not going to pursue like this fair ballot commission. It's basically going to be the same way they write ballot initiatives that that has been done in years past. And I think that's going to be kind of the place where the Secretary of State's office is going to be at the biggest spotlight, just simply because the initiative petition process has been just a, a very popular entity to pursue policy. Um, but, you know, Candor, I, I, I think I said this a few times, is the first uh, person of, of the Jewish religion to win statewide office since Ken, Kenneth Rothman in 1980. And uh, I guess I only find that notable because I am of the Jewish religion. So now a, co- a little bit of trivia mm-hmm. here. Um, okay, uh, Barack Obama and uh, Romney, who I've mentioned before that the presidential campaign was like in its own universe and really didn't have much effect on anything down ballot. There was two two million seven hundred forty four thousand nine hundred thirty five votes cast for president. Mm-hmm. The decline. Uh, little sound effect there, which helped. The decline was dramatic. There was like, even with McCaskill's big win, there were 30,000 people who voted for president who didn't vote in her race. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time you get to uh, treasurer and secretary of state, there are 100,000 people mm-hmm. who by that point had said, oh, forget it, I'm going home. They didn't vote for those races, but they voted for the top. Um, McCaskill um, outperformed Barack Obama by 10 percentage points, and there was um, 270,000 people who cast a Democratic vote for her who didn't vote for the president. Uh, There were 410,000 people, Republicans, who voted for Romney who did not vote for Todd Akin. So... And the governor outpolled Claire McCaskill as the top vote getter 
by 500 votes, so I'm sure they'll they'll probably— Do you win a bowl of candy for that? <laughs> I don't know, but I think that'll probably be a little point of contention <laughs> with those 500 votes. I'm sure. I'm well, sure. Let's, let's talk a little, just real, real briefly. Let's go through a couple of the um, U.S. House representatives. In the 2nd District, no surprise at all. No. Wagner. She'll be a congresswoman until she w- doesn't want to be it anymore. Absolutely. And— and, uh, and she spent a lot of the last uh, six weeks campaigning plumber. elsewhere. She was helping Plummer. She was doing who ran in Illinois and lost. And uh, she was doing stuff for other Republicans around the state yeah. well, speaking and of region. Plummer losing, um, at least last night, he was not ready to admit that. We had our own uh, Tim Lloyd there at the uh, election night watch party. Um, so even after the AP had called it... Uh, Jason Plummer did not want to did not want to give a concession speech or admit that he had lost. So he was hanging around till the bitter end. He said that there were still votes to be cast. Well, so. I think the fact that that district went Democratic and it was a Democratic district and the 13th went Republican and was a Republican district. I think I, I'm not really sure if each either opposing party is going to seriously contest that over the next few cycles. And that may be a, a nice thing for St. Louis TV watchers because I can't tell you how many ads I saw for Illinois races that I couldn't vote in and I'm sure that a lot of Missourians felt the same way not only in St. Louis but kind of up and down the river so that'll be a nice reprieve if that actually comes to pass. Well we should probably get into some ballot initiatives but before we do Jason Mm -hmm. you still have both of your shoes? I do. Yes. I, I do not have to actually eat my shoe because Romney did not get 60% of the vote. Yes. <laughs> and I had, I, I had prepared to put 53%. it— 53%. I had prepared to, uh, you know, use some sriracha or some hot sauce on it <laughs> because I put that on everything, but— It was you know, a pretty safe wager, though. I think 60% that, that was That was kind mistake. of like betting that, that the Cubs wouldn't totals. win the World Series. It's kind of a— assumption at this point so romney's total which was 53.9 percent is roughly in the range of bush i mean that's more uh i mean Mm -hmm. bush bush two in in 2004 right 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 so it's more just but actually you know he only outpolled the president by 9.6 percent which while not nothing to uh you know that's that's significant but it's but considering the fact that there was no campaigning um you i could Imagine some Democrats in Missouri telling the White House, well, we told you so. Not that they needed Missouri because they didn't. Well, I think we were talking on the show if the margin had been higher, like if it had gone into 12, 13, 14 percent territory. Now, I think it's pretty obvious that I don't think it would have helped Todd Aiken win. Right. But maybe some of the other down ballots, Mm -hmm. especially Scholar, maybe McNary, possibly. I think that probably would have helped them. I think, though, that, you know, I was making the prediction that if, it was at that level that might make Aiken more competitive just because that kind of showed in, in several polls. But it was pretty evident that a lot of Republicans who voted for Romney just either didn't vote for Aiken by voting for McCaskill or voting for Dine or just, you know, completely rejecting him. So that hypothesis I don't really think came to pass. So And there were five write-ins. Uh, for the U.S. Senate, and, and actually here. two of them got actually the, the, the highest vote getters among the write-ins was Bernie Mowinski, who got two votes, oh. and Charlie L. Bailey, 
two votes. And Leonard Steinman of Jefferson City got 49 votes for governor. He looks kind of like Santa Claus. <laughs> and by the way, before you go into the ballot initiatives, I just want to quickly go over one piece of tiny silver lining for Republicans, and that is they not only maintained their huge majorities in the legislature, they now have a veto-proof majority in the Missouri House. 110. Which actually, I think Scott Dickhouse and I were talking from that story. I don't think even he thought the Republicans could gain seats, let alone enough to do a veto-proof majority. So in a sense, I don't know if they could override something like right to work or something very controversial like that, since a lot of Republicans are going to probably vote against overriding stuff like that. But it makes the governor's ability to pursue a very controversial agenda to Republicans a lot more difficult, I think. And well, it will embolden Speaker Tim Jones, uh, Republican from Eureka, who admitted to me a couple weeks ago that he might be entertaining a look at statewide office in 2016, possibly. And I mean, so he definitely um, the speaker always benefits when you've got these high totals. But let's get into the ballot, because actually the uh, health exchange, this could all affect that. Right. Well, yeah. And so the uh, Prop E, the health exchange initiative, yes was 61%, no was 38 So, guys, what does this change? It means that the governor can't unilaterally oppose a, a, a health insurance exchange by executive order, which I think was pretty much the—wasn't that the only option at this point well, with time running out? Well, the, the, the legislature still could come up with something, and while Jones— and some Republican leaders, particularly in the House, have been very outspoken. Although they remember they had passed an yeah, exchange. I was just going to say they passed a bill that basically set up an exchange, but it was blocked in the Senate. Right. But you wonder if maybe the Republicans might be reconsidering some of this since President Barack Obama got reelected. Mm-hmm. An exchange is coming. Yeah. Missouri's going to have an exchange. It's either going to be a federal exchange or a state exchange. And the legislature, the Republican leaders in the legislature, I think, will at least have to think about, do they want something that those Democrats in Washington craft for them, or will they want to put in their own stamp? Right. Now, Medicaid expansion, I think, is a lot less likely with the legislative composition. I mean, I don't know if Nixon's going to push for it. And that this is an issue that's separate from Prop E. But it's still but a it's really, related. really important, and not only for people who— are without health insurance, but also for hospitals who are kind of depending on this expansion. I mean, I've talked with legislators from the Republican side. They don't show much of an interest in accepting that, which is under the auspices of the Federal Health Care Act. Um, and I don't think that the results in the legislature is going to change that much. But I think that the statewide virtual sweep, except for Kinder, mm-hmm. by the Democrats statewide have to give the Republicans in the legislature some pause. And maybe I'm wrong. You would know more than me. I don't know. That could be the case, and especially if the, the, the hospitals really make a push for it. I think that could be kind of a wild card in this that kind of trumps over some philosophical argument. Because if it. any of these legislative leaders are going to be thinking about running for statewide in either 2014 or 2016 or whatever, they got to look at these totals. I mean, while while on a micro level, Republicans didn't do so bad as far as the legislature. On the macro level, as far as running statewide, yeah, exactly, it's pretty bad. But then 
Well, let's look at some of the other ballot initiatives really quickly. Well, we, should, we should probably go to Prop B, the tobacco tax. Yeah, initiative. third time is not the charm for Unsu- that. Unsurprisingly, people don't like paying taxes. Well, like but I mean, taxes. did they have a good enough campaign? I don't know. And the thing was, people thought that it would pass this time around yes. because the bigger tobacco companies weren't getting involved, but the littler ones were donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to the No campaign yes. because they would have been affected by closing a so-called loophole in the master settlement agreement that it's complicated to explain, but it would have negatively impacted their their ability to have their cigarette prices lower. Right. And, you know, even though the bigger tobacco companies probably wanted that to happen because it probably would have given them a price advantage. I mean, the littler ones saw this as a big threat to their business. They donated that money to do an opposition campaign that included TV and all those signs at the gas station. And it's just like the signs that don't mention it's a tax on tobacco. It's just I've I've seen those signs before. And, uh, you know, it, it really... It really uh, just doesn't seem like something that voters want to do. So it, it, it's, a, it's another— So Missouri remains the lowest cigarette tax state in yeah. the nation. And what was funny to me was, uh, being older than you guys, <laughs> the campaign that the antis won was identical to what they ran in 2002 and 2006 yeah. with all those little things on top of the uh, gas pump saying, what is it, like— and that, that, this huge yeah, tax increase, absolutely not true. not Seven being specific, yeah, like not that. being specific, but it's extremely effective. And I couldn't figure out why, if the people who were supporting this, this is the third time, it's like, well, okay, this is what the guys are going to be saying, so we need to do such and such. And it seemed like they weren't prepared to really counter the successful um, ground game that the— uh, opponents of the cigarette tax had and it just surprised me because i would think by the third time you would you, you would know better you or you would at least figured out some strategy yeah i will say though if it had passed i don't think there would have been anything to stopping the legislature from changing how that money would have been diverted either by changing the statute or just you know absolutely I, yeah. I really i think people make that argument all the time in propositions but it's it's a really difficult argument to make when it's a statute and not a constitutional amendment so the other two ones were— Speaking of constitutional oh. amendments, oh, Constitutional yeah. <laughs> Amendment 3 uh, was— Oh, it lost. Bad. Lost big time. Really yes, bad. Yes was only 24%. That might be, like, the biggest rejection of a uh, amendment or, or yeah, constitutional people, people like initiative voting yes on amendments yeah, for a lot yeah. of times. So the, yeah, so but this, this, shows, this shows how if you don't have a campaign to back it up— and there's opposition to it, and there was from the legal community, it's not going to pass. And not only was there not a campaign, they consciously decided not to campaign because they didn't like the ballot summary language. So, I mean, nobody should be surprised by this result. And I really don't know how this helps the people who don't like the court plan's cause of wanting to change it further. Well, and it's not just in Missouri. Because since it's called the Missouri Plan, uh, I mean, there's these national groups who've been wanting to see change in Missouri because that it would be symbolic in trying to change their the other states that have similar plans. I think this really puts – it doesn't kill it, but it kind of, I, I think, a little cold water. I will say, though, like 
just from I, I lived in Boone County for a while, which did have direct elections of judges and living in St. Louis for the last few years. It is still kind of a jarring thing to see Illinois commercials of judges <laughs> actually campaigning on things they did, like set up a foreclosure mediation program. That just seems a little odd to me. And I'm not really sure if Missourians would that might be a new thing for Missourians if that becomes on a statewide level for Supreme Court or whatever. But not saying it's good or bad. It's just different from the the way Missouri goes in, in, in nonpartisan court plan places. Well, quickly, very quickly, we will talk about Prop A, uh, local control of the police department. Yes. St. Louis will now have control over its own police department. Uh, it was pretty soundly passed by... 64% to 36%. Right. Um, I think a lot of people saw, should St. Louis be in control of its police department? Yeah, why not? I don't yeah, because I, th- I think it shows how term limits, I've mentioned this before, uh, affected how the legislature approaches this. Because before there was term limits, you had a lot of influential regional legislators, especially in the city of St. Louis, who actually controlled or mm-hmm. had heavy influence over police uh, promotions and stuff like that. Well, with term limits, nobody's there long enough, and also, as a result, no, the legislators no longer care as much about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, most of the opposition to this was either police or some city aldermen, all that. I think um, this is going to be fascinating to see the talks between the mayor's office and the police department over this, and... Um, yeah. This could be a factor in the mayor's race somehow. And, and just as a side note from somebody who's been following money and politics, Rex Singfeld, who, as we always mention, is a donor to the St. Louis Beacon as well as to a bunch of other causes. This was one of the things that he backed significantly. It was one of the examples of things that he funded that passed. He obviously gave a lot of money to Shane Scholler, and he lost. I think he right. gave some money to some candidates in the primary, legislative candidates that didn't win. But, you know— it, this was an example of, 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 of a success last night of, of him giving a lot of money to something. Though it wasn't as much money right. as, 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 say, the earnings tax proposition that was a couple years ago. Because I think I read in your story that they decided not to do, like, a huge sweeping media campaign for this. So Yeah, I, and you wonder, and it, and I don't want to single uh, Sinkfield out, but, right. but wealthy donors— there were so several wealthy donors who gave to other candidates, too, and most of them lost on Tuesday in Missouri. They got these huge blocks of money. You, it makes you wonder if they might be reconsidering. I mean, if maybe Singfeld or, or others might, again, focus more on issues mm-hmm. and less on people. Singfeld has been moving in that direction, though he did give to a lot of candidates, not a lot of candidates, but a select group of candidates over this cycle. So it's... It's an interesting thing to, to keep yeah, watching. Yeah, because did David Humphreys, did any of his candidates win? Well, Ed Martin lost. Uh, Ed Emery won. Um, but I... I For I, uh, state, state Senate. Senate. I really think Ed Emery may be the only example. And I, I think he's donated money to national people who probably won. And I think he's donated in the past to people who won. But this was... I mean, those... Even though Ed Martin got like $450,000 from him, it, it wasn't... It wasn't Anything that helped him, it wasn't close to to win that race, right? And this was kind of a although s- a symbol of what happened nationally, where you had a small group of very wealthy donors who gave a lot of money to certain groups, to, and and virtually all of the people they backed lost. Although Coster did get hundreds of thousands from Singfeld and won, but it wasn't the 
it, he had other sources of fundraising besides that. So um, well, I guess that was an example of, of, of yeah. another success. Well, the last proposition that we're going to talk about is Prop R, the Board of Aldermen. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. Does anybody 60, know? It, it passed. Yeah, yeah it passed because yeah. it needs 60 percent. Even was, the proponents didn't think it was going to get really it. I was really surprised by that because yeah. I think that that margin that you needed to get of 60 percent just seemed like too steep of a hill to yes. climb. But it passed. So, so what's that, it going to do now? Well, nothing for the time being. But if 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 I still live in the city of St. Louis in 10 or 15 years, when the next census comes around, it means that the aldermanic wards are going to be larger. Uh, there probably will be more competition. Right. For, for right. Because it doesn't now. go into effect for 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know what effect that would have on city government, to be honest. But it just means there's going to be fewer aldermen in about 10 years from yeah, now. Yeah, and, and it may, may, I'm just wondering, I'm thinking out loud here, but I'm wondering if it might more professionalize. See, Board of Aldermen increasingly have have attracted candidates who had been in the legislature and they were termed out, which never used to be that way. I mean, before your time, people would be aldermen and then they'd be legislators. Now they're doing it the other way. Like Chris Carter, for example. <laughs> right. So or now, Quincy Troop. I may be mispronouncing yes, no, his name, yeah, no, but you, yes. You've got it right. But it may professionalize it more. You may start seeing these aldermen, this is 10 years, uh, with staffs, things like that that they don't, because if there's fewer of them, I think, you, I think you're absolutely right. They'll be more sought after, more contentious. Um, yeah. Just as a, I know we're running very yeah. long on time, but it's like in Columbia, for example, they didn't used to pay the aldermen until a couple years ago. And I think that after they get a stipend out there, it may attract people who wouldn't have run for the office when it was you were getting paid anything i don't know if that's a similar example because i don't know if they're going to pay the alderman well, more well yeah that's what i'm wondering if if there won't be a move to pay the the but, but surviving you, you may more. have to if right. the awards are bigger so i don't know how much savings money wise it it may change the dynamics but i mean this is so far away, I don't really know if we're going to be able to It will definitely change the dynamics. As someone who used to cover City Hall yeah. before the two of you were born, that's absolutely true, um, it will definitely change the dynamics. Well, if it takes place in about 10 years, we'll cover <laughs> it for beyond, 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 beyond November. Wow, that's a lot of beyonds. <laughs> well, you know, hey, in 10 years, all of the other URLs will be taken. So we're going to have to buy That's that. true. That's an excellent point. So... But we will be back later on. You can read our, our election stories on beyondnovember.org. I'm on stlpublicradio.org. Joe and Jason are on stlbeacon.org. You can find me on Twitter at, at csmcdaniel. At Jay Rosenbaum. At Jay Manis. And I want to do a shout-out to everybody who ran for office, win or lose. That takes a lot of guts. Absolutely. And uh, I give them a little round of applause. It's a tough business. I know that. People like us are, are chirping birds and while they're running. But, <laughs> you know, people who do decide to do that sacrifice a lot. And a lot of them are very good people at win or lose. Yes. So. And especially for the people who did lose, um, you know, it shows some class being able to talk to members of the media after a loss, I think. So until next time, so long. So long. Bye-bye.